And as I alluded in my prayer, it's very rare that we do anything to separate our congregation. When we preach the word, we preach the word to everybody. So don't think for a moment that uh, we are only talking about fathers today. But uh, the Bible does speak specifically at times to mothers and specifically at times to fathers. And today is one of those times that it talks specifically to men, men who are the leaders of their home. And it was God who established the family, and it was the Lord that made it the basic unit of human society. It was the Lord that set up the structure of the family, and it centers around a father, a mother, and children, and then we're told that you're to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. And I think, I hope for those of you that have been coming uh, to Sunday school long enough, you'd realize that that promise that your days may be long upon the land the Lord your God has given you isn't talking about Israel. It's talking about uh, uh, those of us in the church, talking about those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ and um, speaking that way to believers. So, with that being said and done, we just have to say a few things. We desire God to hear our prayers. <coughs> Prayer is difficult. It's not an easy thing. Very few Christians would dare to say, well, I, I prayed enough. I, I, I pray fine. I no problem with that, you know. Uh, I know people that uh, are, are better prayer warriors than I. And they would not say that uh, they actually pray enough, you know. But we don't want a roadblock. And we don't want a hindrance to our prayers. We need to be people of prayer, and we don't want those prayers to be hindered. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise. That likewise tells us we're in the middle of a context. But husbands, likewise, dwell with them, dwell with your wife, with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now there's a triggering word in there, right? Women, the weaker vessel. But I'll get you in trouble. You know, <laughs> you know, well, I can stand here confidently and say that because God is the one that said that. And we're going to talk about what that means. And we're going to talk about uh, the fact that we are to give women honor, not dishonor. Our society is very busy in dishonoring women. It's a, it's a terrible thing. We've actually seen our society try to turn women into men. And things never stop there. Now we're turning men into women. Okay. No. No, that's, that's not what it's all about. There are roles that God's designed and we're going to talk about that. And without strong families, society itself falls apart. Without strong men, the families are going to struggle. That's just the fact of the matter. Without strong men, the families are going to struggle. Yeah, they can persevere. They're children that uh, have come out of the very worst of situations and come to know the Lord. And first-generation Christians that are strong in the faith. That's true. But... It's a more difficult road for those that have been raised in the wrong way. Who is it that would love to destroy families 
and harm individuals? Who is it that's pleased when the image of God in man is defaced in humankind? Who is it that almost succeeded in the garden as Eve was tempted, then Adam with his eyes wide open to it? Who is it that delights to see child sacrifices? And that's been going on for thousands of years. Still is. You know who it is, don't you? It's Satan, our enemy. And we're talking about spiritual warfare. Satan and his forces attempting to destroy the family and destroy morality. Well, you know what our best offensive weapon is? Prayer. Satan is still using the same old tried and true tactics, destroying families by redefining what a family is, redefining morality, redefining sin. The greatest sin in our day of in 2023 is probably intolerance. That's what people would think is, is the very worst thing you could be is to be intolerant, to not affirm what somebody else tells you about themselves, no matter how harmful it might be to themselves. Well, I'll tell you, there's a greater sin than intolerance. Greater sin, greater sin than intolerance. Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And you can read the rest of that passage there later on your own time. But one of the chief ways Satan uses to suppress the truth is to redefine the truth. You talk about man being made in the image of God. So that, that means nothing to most people. It should mean everything, but it means nothing to most. Thinking that there's only two genders. Man, you talk about intolerance. That's, that's gross intolerance, right? It isn't. And it's not even really gross intolerance in our society. Did a little research. You always have to take a poll for what it's worth, you know. Um, the, the pollers are always telling us how the vote's going to turn out. And, uh, you know, they get it right about half the time. <laughs> Could have flipped a coin and got it right half the time, you know. But you take a poll for what it's worth. And um, I think if you talk to people individually, they may be hesitant to say this. But they were willing to say it to a pollster. Two-thirds of Americans still believe there are two genders. Now, that should surprise you, because that is not the message that you hear anywhere, you know, in church, yeah. But two-thirds of Americans still believe there are only two genders. Of course, you go back 100 years, and I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that said, oh, no, there's five or six genders, you know. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody saying that, and uh, they wouldn't dare say it. They'd probably end up in a mental institution if they did. You know? Well, it is insanity. It really is. So there you go. So today we look at the part of the remedy. Gender is not fluid, and roles are designed by God. And strong men who pray and lead their children well are doing the best thing they can for themselves, for their wife, for their family, for society. For again, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Give an honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel as being heirs together of the grace of life 
that your prayers may not be hindered, which tells us that we don't do this. Our prayers can somehow be hindered. Our prayers can be hindered by our disobedience. Now, the context is verses 1 through 6. And uh, let me read them, but I'm not going to try to exposit them. Uh, we have a very uh, sermon that's been downloaded uh, a few thousand times on sermon audio that I preached in 2005 on this very subject of verses 1 through 6. And uh, you can look it up on, on the internet, sermon audio, easy to find. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. And that has the context of going back to the fact that we all need to be submissive to one another and clothed with humility. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the uncorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in the former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good, and not afraid with any terror. Now, all this comes on the heels of a verse that I put on your outline there. I'll keep my outline in front of us here. Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 22 through 25. And that is far more than we can deal with today. So let me just uh, pick a couple of highlights out there from that. Ephesians 5, 22 does say, Wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then it gives a reason why... There should be submission. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. And then, it goes down to verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm not trying to cherry-pick the scriptures today, but um, there's just some things that we just would have to go into a long series to deal with. And maybe in the future we'll do that. But that's not my purpose today. I'm directing most of my applications to married men. But, um, like I said, we need godly ladies too. Ladies willing to follow the Lord in the way he's ordained. And ladies who themselves take up the practice of faithful, believing prayer. You know, I, I'm reminded of a true incident that happened with Becky. We, we had a nephew who was going astray very, very badly and uh, not doing well. And um, we, we were, happened to be talking with him when we were in Tucson. And Becky told him, says, um, I'm praying for you. Named him by name, which I won't do. Named him by name and said, I'm praying for you. And he said, no, I don't want you to pray for me. Don't pray for me. And Becky said, you can't stop me from praying for you. You know what? This guy's doing really well now. He's doing very, very well. And he's actually thanked Becky for praying for him when he was in his 20s, now that he's in his 40s, you know. And um, amen. May, may the Lord help in ways like that. So, you know, today. Anyway, let's go to point number one here. We're talking about husbands today. The godly husband 
the godly father, must always remember the one that he's picturing. And I won't go into great detail here, but um, if you had premarital counseling here, you know it. If you had uh, counseling after marriage, you know it. We always go to Ephesians 5 and, and spend our time looking at what God said about marriage. And, and the fact of the matter is, is that the godly husband must remember who he's picturing because his role model is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is to treat his wife the way the Lord Jesus Christ treats his church. Does Christ ever misuse the church? Does Christ ever send the church on a bad road? Does Christ ever do something that's going to cause great harm to the church spiritually and destroy the church? When churches are destroyed, it's out of their own disobedience. It's out of their own uh, not, uh, not following the principles and, and biblical principles of God. But now we're talking about husbands. Okay, so let's bring it home. In every home, there's a story being told. And the story is being told by the husband to his wife and to his family. And what is the untold story? Well, it's the way I lead this home is the way that Christ leads the church. It's a two-way street, you see. The way I lead this home is the way Christ leads the church. And many Christian husbands are lying about God. Many Christian husbands are misrepresenting Christ. Many Christian husbands are doing a horrible job and saying by their actions, this is what God is like. This is what Christ is like. And it's no wonder society has such low views of even the church. And then we see in 1 Peter 3, 7, that the husband, or actually we see it in the Ephesians passage, sorry, in the Ephesians passage that's on your outline there, that the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And so that brings us to the second point, that uh, the husband is the head of the home, whether he wants to be or not. So what? Yeah, the husband is the head of the home, whether he wants to be or not. It's not optional. The husband is the head. It doesn't say, exert your influence and become the head. It doesn't say to learn what it means to be the head so you can be the head. You are the head. And it doesn't say, no, I don't want that responsibility. Uh, I want my wife to be the head. Sorry, you can't do that. You don't get that option. It states positively that because you are the husband, you are the head. So that means there's only one thing to notice. One thing to take note of. What kind of head are you going to be? Well, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to sit on the sidelines and let my wife take care of things. Well, that's the kind of head you're going to be. A lazy, worthless, shiftless head. Sorry, but that's the truth. And everyone's going to suffer because of irresponsibility. Now, now look up at the Old Testament. No, don't turn there, because time will fail us. Numbers 30 is a good place to go later. I'll just tell you what it says. Numbers 30 is um, a very interesting scenario. A woman vows a vow to God. And her husband hears it. And he can 
actually cancel her vow, and she's not under obligation. And an unmarried woman that uh, vows a vow to God can have her vow canceled by her father. But if the husband or father hears the vow and does nothing, then the vow is bonding on her. Now, why would I bring that up out of Numbers 30? Because there's a principle that's being taught here. Something's being taught by principle. By simply doing nothing, the head of the home has done something. By doing nothing, he's done something. He could have canceled her vow, he doesn't. The vow stands. He cancels her vow, she's free. Okay. But by doing nothing, the head of the home is doing something. That may be the right thing to do. Maybe the vow she's given is a good vow. And so by doing nothing in that respect, he's done the right thing. What I'm trying to say is the husband is the leader of the home, even if he does nothing. And of course, in this context, that's not going to be good. You know, the suffer, the home will suffer. Some Christian men are tyrants. They demand respect. And it's often said in our society that respect cannot be demanded, it, it's earned. And that's true to a great extent. But it's not exactly true in this case. Because in this case, respect is commanded. Why is it to respect their husbands? What a pity it is when she has to respect him out of mere duty and not because he's earned that respect. Likewise, husbands are commanded in Ephesians 5 to love their wives. It too is a command. Not just love her because she's lovable, but to love her unconditionally as Christ does his church. Now back to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. You know, in verses 1 through 6 that I read just a bit ago, Peter's dealing with the practical problem that was faced by women in that day and still is a problem today but it was really a problem back in that day of a, a fact of a, a woman has come to faith in Christ and believes in Christ and her husband is an unbeliever. Massive problem. Terrible problem in that particular day because in Greek society, a faithful wife would have to have the same religious beliefs as her husband. So you can see what the problems would be. Her husband is an idolater and now she's come to faith in Christ and what's she going to do? Well, we read basically what to do in verses 1 through 6 there. And, uh, of course, that would be a topic for another day. But if you want to look up the sermon on that, it's called the, uh, the Unequally Yoked Wife. With some practical suggestions of what you actually can do uh, under such terrible circumstances that you find yourself in. But in God's providence, it happens. It shouldn't happen uh, after you're a Christian. You should only marry a Christian, ladies. That's very important. But uh, if you come to faith later in life, and that happens, this is in God's providence, then God hasn't left you without recourse, and you can deal with 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. But the opposite problem can happen too. And that's what verse 7 is about. It doesn't come right out and say it, but husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is assuming that both husband and wife are believers. I said, well, why didn't it, it deal with um, the fact of a, a Christian man 
and a non-Christian woman. Well, according to custom and rules of society, the man was the head of the home. But we know, we know for a fact that uh, no one can be saved just because their husband is saved. No, no wife can be saved because her husband's saved. But the husband has the opportunity in such a society as that to teach his wife and to lead his wife and, and bring her along. And uh, we see that there's a, a general rule. Uh, things work out well that way. The hope would be that the husband, being a Christian husband to her, could lovingly lead and guide and instruct her by the word and example in the ways of the gospel. But um, there's even repercussions and, you know, what do you do as the leader of the home and your wife is not going to follow the Lord? Well, you lead the home in the Lord. That's what you do. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, tenderness is necessary. Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding. Dwell with your wife with understanding. Uh, we need to kind of flesh out what that means from verse number seven. And if you go to the languages, well, it's just some of the translations, let's just say. King James Version says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge. The New King James says, with understanding. The New American Standard Bible says, in an understanding way. Um, then the NIV and RSV took a little bit of a turn here. And um, I'm not sure it was totally a turn for the better. But the NIV and the RSV and the New Revised Standard Version uh, translate as be considerate. Be considerate is part of it. But it's not comprehensive enough. Okay, not, not for what the Greek happens to say. And so the ESV came back which is actually a, a revision of uh, the RSV, comes back and, and gets it right again, I believe, to a better rendering in an understanding way. So what do we mean by in an understanding way? That's more comprehensive, you see. She's the weaker vessel. That's the context of what it says. So we need to be kind to our wives. We need to be tactful. We need to be understanding. We do need to be considerate. We need to be all these sorts of things and honor her because that's what the Bible says to do, to honor her as heirs together of the grace of life. Let your prayers not be hindered. Maybe we can call it compassionate understanding. Understand what a woman is, all that a, a woman is, and honor her that way. You know, Men, we need to know God's purpose for marriage. That's what I'm trying to say. We need to understand that. And um, these things are not known by and large by our culture. But do you know why God instituted marriage? It's not good that a man be alone. Now, I'm looking at faces of single men. And, and I know that's hard for you. I know it's hard to be a single man. Don't know by experience, but I know it from talking to you. And I know it uh, just uh, from, from life in general. Well, be a single man or a single woman, you don't have to be married to be a complete person. The Bible never says that. In fact, Paul even says under the per present distress, being single is better than being married. And the present distress was the coming persecution that was coming. 
God gifts according to his purposes each individual life, be it married or unmarried. But we're talking about marriage today. We're talking about housing together. That's what dwell means, literally, in the Greek. Housing together with our wife. Our lives are intertwined. We become one flesh. We can talk about ourselves in the singular and not be wrong to do so because in God's eyes, in some respect, we are one person. Um, we will stand on our own, but yes, in God's eyes, we are one person. And in the eyes of the laws of our land, even, in some aspects, married couples are like one person, which is why divorce is so terrible and such a tearing asunder and so painful and difficult. I know a lot in our society say, oh, divorce isn't that bad. It's not going to harm children. Divorce isn't that bad. It's not going to cause any problems with you. You're going to be far, far better off. But I know you guys. I know some of you are divorced. And I know you would tell me, it was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. Okay. That's what we want to not have happen. Okay. So, you know, there's implications to this. Gay marriage is not possible. It doesn't exist. Oh, it exists when you fill out a, a 1040 form for the government. But it doesn't exist. It can't exist. It's impossible. I, when I pre preached this sermon for the first time back in 2005, I preached it one other time since. Of course, it's different. But, but I was looking back on my old notes. In 2005, it was an interesting time when I preached it the first time. And um, I made a prediction. My prophecies rarely come true. So I try not to make prophecies. But this one came true. 2005, I said, uh, eventually our country will accept gay marriage. 2008 came. And California citizens voted not to institutionalize gay marriage. Went to the polls and said no. But many of those that were opposed were opposed for the wrong reason. And of course the courts came in, overturned it, and gay marriage became legal, even though it's not possible. But the opposition was opposition for the wrong way, and why it, it switched, and now people accept it, absolutely, because their opposition was one more of bigotry than of principle. So eventually they began to support the idea of gay marriage, because after all, who's it really hurting? Right. Don't hear that all the time? Who's it really hurting? Well, I know at least two people that are being hurt greatly by it. And then the families that are associated. In God's design, as husband and wife, the two become one flesh. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and even spiritually. The wife doesn't become the husband, so we have two husbands. The husband doesn't become the wife, so we have two wives. They both become one flesh together. Now, let's turn to another aspect of verse number seven. You need, men, that special knowledge of your wife, that special understanding of her. Because not all men are alike. 
Not all women are alike. We can generalize and we can find some traits that are masculine, find some that are feminine, and apply them generally to men and women. But I, I'll use myself, I need to be a student of my own individual wife. This is important. It's important to a woman. She wants you to know her. That's why listening to her is so important. What are her desires? What are her goals? What frustrates her? What brings her joy? What are her strengths? What are her weaknesses? As men, we're supposed to be experts in understanding our wife so we can be a proper husband to her. And we learn by experience. And we learn by making mistakes. But we learn most of all by being students of the Word of God and being the spiritual leaders of our family. And men, as I said, you are the spiritual leader of your family. You can't give that responsibility away. You as a Christian man are the leader. It only remains, what kind of leader will you be? And then we're told to give honor to a, our wife. Timé is the word that's used here. And, um, you know, uh, give honor to your wife. And um, honor is an interesting word. Peter uses it three, four times in his epistles, three times in 1 Peter. Just flip back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Greek word timae, of course, is translated honor there. But it's not always translated honor. Timae in chapter 2, verse 7, is translated precious. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. Precious. He's actually literally in the Greek, the preciousness. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have our passage here, which talks about honor. And then you can just flip over to 2 Peter chapter 1, where he uses the same word, Timae, again. And uh, it's found in chapter 1, verse 17. For he received, not talking about Christ, for he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So Peter ties that all together with the idea of honor. That gives us a, a nice view of what he's actually saying when he says honor your wife. That's, that's very high indeed. And there's two reasons that we honor her. Number one is that she's the weaker vessel. I honor her because she's the weaker vessel. You know, the boy, I'll tell you, that, that uh, will raise the rankles on, on people for sure. You know, what kind of language is that? What kind of a, a Nathanderol are you anyway to, to think like that? Well, a godly husband realizes that his wife is in a vulnerable position. And that's exactly what the Greek word that is translated there means. She's in a sense of vulnerability. And, and he mentions it in verse number six, that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. But Abraham didn't always do right by Sarah. Okay? He, he actually almost gave her to another man to, to be Pharaoh's wife. Didn't always do what was right. 
by her. So you can see a woman, especially in this society, was put in a very precarious situation. But it's still true today. If a woman's husband doesn't behave as a Christian should, she's in danger, even grave danger. And this is literally true on a physical level. The most dangerous person in the world is the person in your home. Some people find that out the hard way. But the most dangerous person in the world is the person in your home. You can put bars on your windows. You can lock the doors. But um, statistics will tell you, and common sense will tell you, that um, women are far more likely to be harmed or even killed by their boyfriends and their husbands. It's a horrible reality. And, and Pastor Ken likes to talk about being a police officer. I've never been a police officer. Okay. So I only know what I hear. My son's a police officer, so that's pretty cool. But they'll tell you, anyone will tell you, the most dangerous situation a police officer can get himself into is go to a domestic dispute. Just pay attention to the news when you hear it. Police officers were shot and killed today. And many, many times it'll be because they went to the house of a domestic dispute. And things just went amazingly out of control. Emotions are high, weapons involved, and that is danger. Absolute danger. So it's usually the woman that's called, and, um, you know, and then someone else gets killed or tragically hurt. Well, the most dangerous person in the world is the person who lives in your house. It's especially true for women. Statistically, we know that's true. But women find themselves in vulnerable situations in a thousand different ways, which is why we always emphasize to our young ladies and the girls growing up, be careful who you become romantically involved with before you're married. Never, ever stay in any kind of an abusive situation. You know, the, the wife is to submit to her husband, but she's not to submit to every man. And she certainly isn't to submit to a man that's going to treat her badly. You run away from a situation like that. Girls foolishly think that things will get better, but they won't. And girls foolishly think they have no choice, but they do. And girls foolishly think that uh, they can change the guy. Only God can change a heart. You know? Girls think that when he's abused you in some way and apologizes, that he really means it. He doesn't. He doesn't. Not unless God changes his heart. He doesn't. And God can change a heart. And God does change hearts. But don't get yourself into a situation like that. If he hit you once, he may hit you again. And he may hit you harder. And if he dared to use his fist, he may use a weapon. I, I'm just being honest now. These, these things need to be heard. These things need to be said. Abuse is absolutely unacceptable. And this verse plainly tells us this. It's a man's job to keep her safe and protect her. I must be my wife's protector, even at the risk of my own life. I must. 
makes my job. She's the weaker vessel. And what a shame if she has to be protected from me. What a horrible, horrible shame. Well, she's the weaker vessel physically and emotionally. And that's not inferiority. It's the softness and tenderness that women are intended to bring into our society. And it breaks my heart to see our society in the way that it is today. We live in a society that's tried to turn women into men and are now turning men into women. The truth is, men are naturally brutish and women are a civilizing force for us. There's a softness and tenderness to femininity that we need. The society needs it. Wayne Grudem talks about this um, in his commentary. It's worth quoting. Wayne Grudem wisely says about this idea of the weaker vessel, wives are often more likely to be hurt deeply by conflict in their marriage or by inconsiderate behavior on the part of the husband. And we need to realize that. If we take our wives for granted, we are not realizing that. Sometimes, men, the only thing your wife needs is your ear. Believe it or not, men, sometimes she just needs you to listen to her. She doesn't need you to even fix the problem. She just needs you to listen to her. And I say that to remind myself, not just all of you. She doesn't need you to solve everything. You can't solve everything. You can go to prayer. You can go to prayer. You can do that. But she just needs to know you care. And, uh, well, she's an heir together of the grace of life. The wife is just as much a Christian as the husband. In Christ, there's neither male nor female, but you know what? That doesn't obliterate the roles that God's designed. Some take this truth too far and, and, and try to say, I, I just, uh, I was listening to a podcast from a non-Christian, by the way. And um, he was um, railing against um, these backwards fundamentalist, that's how he called it, churches that don't even allow women pastors. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, the woman is just as much a Christian as a man, just as blessed and loving the Lord, but the roles are not obliterated and that's talking about being joint heirs together. And that word, heirs together, the grace of life, you know. Romans eight seventeen uses that same word, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Ephesians 3, 6 uses that same Greek word, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs, just translated a little differently. Hebrews eleven nine, the heirs with him of the same promise. And the motive. The motive. And that's where Peter has said something shocking. And I hope it does shock us. Shocks me as I think about it. How important is the issue of dwelling with your wife with understanding? How important is it honor, to honor her as the weaker vessel? How important is it to honor her as a joint heir of the grace of life? It is so important 
that our communion with God can be disrupted if we don't do that? How else can that be interpreted? So your prayers be not hindered. It's obvious that our prayers can be hindered by disobeying these injunctions. And we will be the spiritual losers if that's the case. And our home will be the spiritual losers. We have every reason and every motive to do what is right. God has many ways to chastise his children. And one of the chief ways he does this is by withdrawing the, his felt presence to make it seem as though he's gone. Let me assure you, if you're a child of God, he's, he's never gone. But the felt presence of God can be withdrawn to bring us back to himself so that we desire that once again, so we need that once again. Sometimes we've made mistakes. Okay, well, repent and, and do the first works. That's the remedy. And no Christian husband should ever think that any spiritual good will be accomplished in his life or through his life without effective prayer. And no husband can have effective prayer without taking heed to this verse. Well, I'll just conclude. I've spoken to Christians today, exhorted Christians. That's what the text is. This is a Christian text. It comes in a Christian context. It's written to Christians. But I'm keenly aware that it's very possible that not everyone here is Christian. Not everyone here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. I beg you to think about eternity. When you're 12, when you're 20, when you're 30, when you're 40, thinking about eternity doesn't come quite that easily. You might be thinking about your next job. You might be thinking about where you're going to go. You may be thinking about someday I'm going to retire. You know, There's a lot of things you can think about. But I'd urge you to think about eternity. Think about those things. The, the present, yes, and the eternity to come. Where will you be in eternity? Will you be with him forever, knowing the joy and bliss of the Lord? Or will you be cast out from his presence because you do not believe in the only Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ, who receives every single sinner who comes to him? Absolutely, this is true. And you say, well, don't you believe in election? I absolutely believe in election. Don't you believe in limited atonement? Absolutely, I do. Well, well, you know, don't you? What, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say this. It all comes back to total depravity, my friends. I can preach the gospel and preach it freely and tell you to come to Christ and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Absolutely. The Bible says that. But I also know that no one's going to do that unless the Holy Spirit prompts them and changes their heart. Don't use that as an excuse to stay away from Christ. Use it instead as something fearful to say, no, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to have that happen to me. I want the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want him, you'll find him. And then you'll be able to say, 
like every true believer, I love him because he first loved me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we've spoken on some hard things today. And I'll admit that it's a lot easier in the confines of a Christian church to say the things that I've said today. And I'll also admit, Father, that um, saying the things we've said today in the wrong context could really cause you problems. Could even lose your job. Well, Lord, it's the word. And your word is truth. We believe your word. And we believe that you designed men for a purpose. We believe that you designed women for a purpose. And we believe strongly that if men will find their rightful purpose, that will be the very best way to live and you can use them in great ways. And we believe that if a woman will submit and do what her purpose is, even in the worst of situations, things can be better. And certainly in the best of situations, things can be great. Well, Lord, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. The only perfect marriage is Christ and the church. And the Christ and the church today is not a perfect marriage because of the church. But Father, I thank you that in the eternal state, it'll be a perfect marriage. Christ the head. And the church willingly following him. And without sin, without stain, dressed in white. Lord, it's a beautiful picture. It's a picture that's intended to be an example on earth and a reality in heaven. So help us, Father, to understand that. And may we cast off the thoughts of a society that does not know you and does not love you and instead embrace the scriptures and what you have said, for your word is truth. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.